say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. Hello and welcome to Premier League Insights. And this one is the penultimate game week. But, it, well, it's just not the penultimate week because we've just been discussing off-air, Jake Oscar thought from InfoGoal, haven't we, that, um, it, it, I mean, why can't we do it like the Bundesliga? Why can't we just have two proper game weeks where everyone plays at the same time? It's always exciting. You can sit at home, watch Soccer Saturday and watch the results and the table change. And why can't we do it like that? But you no, know, we have to do it in this weird way where there's all these different matches on different days and that kind of thing. Anyway, we're not complaining. It means we got a couple more podcasts out and um, good for you as well if you're a listener because you get some more tips and you get the up-to-date odds and that kind of thing as well. So we're going to go through all the game week fixtures from this midweek that we've got ahead of us, but we're also going to have a look back, as always, at a couple of the picks that worked out for us from the previous weekend. And as we record this, it is Monday evening and... Well, we had some good picks, actually, to start the weekend off. I think it looked like it was going to be a very profitable weekend at one point, Jay, didn't it? So let's just start things off. Onside with City on Friday night, but both teams to score. We said it was at 2.02 on Pinnacle, which we got. I also mentioned Joe Willock as well. He did miss a penalty, though, but he did get on the score sheet. And you also said plus 1.5 on the Asian handicap. Great tip, Jay. Great tip. Yeah, it was um, it was looking looking like that that last bit anyway was in the bank after about an hour when Newcastle were three three two up. Um, made us sweat a little bit after that, but yeah, the, I mean, the, yeah, the both teams for score price um, was uh, extortionate, really, given what Newcastle have done in recent weeks, and obviously Manchester City. We, we expect them to make changes. I don't think we quite expected Scott Carson to be starting in the net. That was a little bit of a, <laughs> of a curveball from Pep, but I guess that gets him a Premier League medal. Um, yeah, that was a cracking start to the weekend. Really good match as well. I'm, I'm really enjoying Newcastle playing with this um, attacking freedom as well, making them just much more, much easier on the eye, aren't they? And uh, less of the the so-called Bruce ball, which is effectively ten men behind the ball. And I guess now he's got his uh, his attacking players back fit. Obviously, Wilson missed out, but he's got St. Maximan and uh, and Alman on, and like you said, Joe Willock, who's really playing well. And um, that ultimately came into our thinking in one of the early pods that we did together with the fact that Newcastle would be safe because they have got such good attacking quality and now they're, they're flourishing and yeah Man City just doing what Man City do which is sort of grind out wins and that was a very unusual performance from them this season they've usually kept it low scoring but yeah cracking starts the weekend and um, yeah we, we had a couple on the Saturday as well that were quite nice in particular Southampton um, anyone who's listened to the podcast this year will know that I'm not a massive fan of Scott Parker and Fulham so managing to get Southampton on side at, um, over even money was, um, you know, very, very nice. And they never looked in doubt, really. Fulham made quite a few changes in that, didn't they? All, most of the lone players didn't really feature. Um, and yeah, Brighton plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap against West Ham was a, was another one on the Saturday. And, um, yeah, Sunday didn't quite go as we'd planned. Aston Villa, um, I was sort of banking on Grealish starting, to be honest, but he ended up only getting 25 minutes. So that was a bit disappointing. The same with Wolves. Um, I believe we were on both teams to score in the West Brom Liverpool game, though, which was um, a very nice 
you know, early winner at half time that was in. Um, yeah, that was around even money as well. So all good, really. And uh, overall, I should say quite profitable, but could have been so much more had Wolves decided to, to, <laughs> to turn up. But um, yeah, I guess we can't be greedy, can we? They've been disappointing all season though, Jake. Come on, you should have realised this by now. But also it does show just how good the model is because I did not see at all the Brighton-West Ham fixture being... I mean, I just thought it was going to be West Ham all, all day long. But as we were recording the podcast, Brighton were absolute red-hot favourites to win the game. So it, was, it just shows you how good that model is. So nice one to the chaps, including yourself, at InfoGoal. Uh, now, if you're wondering what this is, and this is the first time that you've ever heard this podcast, InfoGoal.net is the place where you can see the model. And by the way, it's incredibly accurate. It's got as many stats and stuff as you can possibly imagine because we're so deep into the season. It's got so many things to factor in. And also, as ever, you can go to Pinnacle.com for the latest odds and Pinnacle.betting and Pinnacle on Twitter just for anything else as well that you may have missed. Now, let's get into it then, Jake, shall we? Tuesday, two really decent games to get your teeth stuck into. Manchester United against your favourites, Fulham, we'll start things off with. Um, Scott Parker's men travelled to Old Trafford and they are 7.950 to pick up a victory at Old Trafford. I cannot see it personally. The infold goal analyst says over two and a half goals is probably a pick. And that's at 1.653. That's on Pinnacle. Um, Man United, you've got to remember, bouncing back from two consecutive losses as well. Uh, how, how do they win without Harry Maguire, by the way, Jake? Does that have a, does that have a big bearing on things? Because I think, I think it possibly does. Yeah. I mean, I think you only realize how good something is when it's gone. Um, and Eric Bailly's performance basically, yeah, it, it put into perspective just how much of a key cock Harry Maguire is, um, for Manchester United because Bailly was all over the place. <laughs> he was, um, you know, he's, he's got so many good attributes, but he always looks calamitous whenever he gets on the football pitch, which is, um, yeah, not, not ideal really. And, I'd be surprised if he plays this game, to be honest. I, I think Solskjaer might use this as an opportunity to look at Axel Schwanzebe instead, maybe. Give him a bit of game time. Um, yeah, and whenever, I mean, even with Maguire at the, at, at the heart of uh, defence, they had been conceding quite a few goals of late. I mean, two against Roma, three against Roma. Uh, Villa scored past them as well. Um, so, you know, even even without him, not even with him in the team, they looked a little bit more uh, vulnerable at the back. And, and I think that's, that's going to be the case again here. I mean, Fulham have been far from impressive in attack, but if there is um, one sort of saving grace for them this season, it has been their away form, which has been uh, much better than the home form. They've obviously picked up a couple of notable scalps, obviously winning at Anfield, which was, I think, actually their last victory in the Premier League, which seemed ages ago, really. Um and yeah, like they, they've got they've got the attacking talent for them to cause issues. But my my problem is, is what I said before is, is Scott Parker going to play a strong team? They've got a lot of lone play, <coughs> lone players, excuse me, that they're not going to keep hold up next season. Does he want to have a look at the rest of the players that are there? See if they're good enough to keep. Um, in which case, it could be quite a comfortable afternoon uh, evening for Manchester United, who. Let's face it. I mean, coming off the back of two home defeats, conceding six goals, um, got a Europa League final next Wednesday. It's highly, highly doubtful that the the big boys are going to play away from home on the final day of the season. Probably going to look to get 
a bit of game time in this game ahead of that final. So it should be full strength for uh, for United, and that means uh, a lot of trouble for, for Fulham, really. We've seen them dismantle teams Manchester United in recent weeks uh, prior to the Liverpool-Leicester game. I mean, they, they were really, really impressive against Aston Villa. They dealt with Roma exceptionally well in the Champions League, and just looking to see what the handicap is. <laughs> Minus one and a half, Manchester United. 2.08, that does appeal to me. I think that this could be quite a comfortable United win. Minus one and a half on the Asian handicap means that we need Man United to win by two clear goals, effectively. Um, so a 2 0 win, a 3 1 win, uh, or anything bigger. That uh, I, I can see Manchester United putting on a bit of a show. See, so, yeah, my, my, just looking at the price there, 2.08. I'm very surprised about that. We've just seen Fulham get beat 3 um, 1 at Southampton. Burnley also beat them with this handicap. Chelsea, too. Aston Villa did so fairly recently as well. So, you know, when, when Fulham do tend to lose, it does tend to be by um, a couple of goals as opposed to just a single goal. So, happy to get Man United minus one and a half on side at even money. Um, yeah, and then, and then the same with the goal line thing. Oh, it's currently set over three. Uh, I won't put anyone off back in that, to be honest. I think this could be quite a, um, a high-scoring game, given, as I've said, Man United's defensive vulnerabilities, but also their attacking um, threat that they pose and Fulham's obvious defensive issues. So, over three goals, that means if there's exact three goals, uh, you get your stake back. If there's three and a half goals, which I could see this being 3-1, maybe even more, then um, yeah, we get a winner. But I, I'm, my favourite play in this is definitely minus one and a half of, um, with, with United at 2.08. Love to see that. Love to see it. And that stacks up with what the info goal analyst says as well. Now, if you're settling in on Tuesday night, you're going to have watched... Manchester United beat Fulham by more than two and a half goals. And then you're going to uh, nip on to Stamford Bridge, where it's a repeat. Actually, this is just what happens at this stage of the season. You see so many repeat fixtures with teams playing each other in finals and semi-finals and the week after in the Europa Leagues and all this kind of stuff. And um, we've got a couple more of those to come, of course, in the Champions League final. But Chelsea against Leicester. Leicester... I mean, they're at 5.140 on Pinnacle to win this. Chelsea are at 1.719. A draws 3.60. Chelsea are 56% with info goal to win. 19% chance for Leicester. I'm intrigued as to why, Jake, because, all right, I suppose you could always admit that they are the underdogs, um, Leicester, in games like this, as they were... Sort of, I suppose, in the FA Cup final. But why? I mean, those odds look massive. Look humongous for Leicester to win against Chelsea on Tuesday night. They do look big, but um, yeah, I, I think that I think it's about spot on. To be honest, the, the prices. I think the you know the market basically there is telling us that Chelsea are the better team um, by quite a way when they're put on a neutral territory, and that is exactly what the odds showed us at Wembley at the weekend at a neutral venue. Chelsea were. Just short of even money favourite. Um, so to be able to get them at 1.75 as opposed to the 1.95 that they were at a neutral venue just shows you that, that, you know, there is a superiority to Chelsea. And, and to be honest, having watched, um, you know, m- most of the FA Cup final, it's not really changed my opinion. I, I thought that Chelsea would, would win the FA Cup final. I think that Chelsea will win this match. I think that Leicester, let's be honest, they got, let's not say lucky. Kasper Schmeichel made a couple of big saves. And Yuri Tielemann scored a 30-yard screamer that he probably scores once in 50 attempts. So 
Fine margins. I don't remember Leicester creating a big chance in that match. I thought Chelsea were very comfortable defensively for the entirety of the 90 minutes. Uh, and I think we'll see something very similar in this match, but with Chelsea ultimately um, getting over the line and, and winning this one. Um, you know, defensively, as I've said quite often, the sensational Chelsea from a defensive standpoint since under Tuchel allowed just 0.64 expected goals against per game, which is a staggeringly low number. Um, and, you know, while they have had a few teething issues in attack, yeah, it's been at Stanford Bridge where they've done the best work from a, a creative standpoint. Average 1.8 expected goals for per game. We saw that last week against Arsenal. I mean, let's be honest, that was the most one-sided 1-0 one we've seen in a long time. I mean, Jorginho passes the ball to Arsenal for a goal um, that was around a 0.5 expected goal chance and Arsenal managed to put up 0.6 in total while Chelsea racked up uh, over two expected goals and created you know, a fair few decent chances. So um, if they perform like that again in this match, they'll win. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the price is a bang on. I'm not seeing too much value in that market in backing just Chelsea. So um, I'll be going elsewhere really and, and, and looking at under goals again because I can't see it being high scoring. I think these two teams are playing, at, um, well, they do set up now in a, a very similar systems, which can cause quite a few cancel or canceling each other out, especially down the flanks. Um, and, and ultimately, I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw in the FA Cup final. So under... Um, under two and a half goals is at around 1.75. It seems a shortish price, but I'd say that's a, a really solid play in this. Um, you know, we've seen it with two shots, Chelsea. There's just not many goals involved in their matches whatsoever. I think they've breached over two and a half goals in, in something like three and 26 of his matches in charge. Um, so under two and a half looks a really solid bet. And, you know, a lot of people will point to Leicester's price and the fact that they've been really good away from home this season. But I would caveat that with the, the fact that Chelsea have been really strong at home from a, an underlying numbers standpoint all, all season long, even before um, Tuchel took over. I mean, the, the process at Stamford Bridge stands at 1.95 expected goals for per game and 0.89 against. So on, on average, they are over one expected goal better at home than their opponents, which um, doesn't really bode well for Leicester. If you're the Chelsea manager, Jake, if you are Thomas Tuchel and you're putting yourself in his shoes, do you keep the faith with Timo Werner? <laughs> Bear in mind, you know, you've got an embarrassment of riches actually in attacking players to go at. Olivier Giroud, we saw him make a cameo. I actually thought he was going to nick one at Wembley because he loves popping up with goals, doesn't he? Like in those sorts of situations. But if you're in a bit of a tussle of the top four, I mean, Liverpool are now just a point behind Chelsea, three points behind Leicester with two games to play. I'm wondering who misses out. And I'm also then wondering, if you're Thomas Tuchel, who, 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 who starts up top? You can't be just tinkering about now. you know. You, and also, you want to try and find something ahead of the final that they've got coming up. What, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think for me, um, in that system, I don't think Timo Werner <clears throat> is good enough to play as a nine, or he doesn't give you enough as a nine. Um, I think he the, the goal-scoring burden solely falls to him when he's playing as a as the only striker in the team I think he's much more suited to play uh, at the left hand side of a three when it comes to that formation um, whether it be Pulisic or Ziyech either, uh, at the other side um, and I quite like Havertz as that nine, as that sort of false nine just sort of linking things together you got you know Werner will make those out to win runs um, so yeah I was very surprised to see Tuchel opt for Werner as a nine in the FA Cup final with um, I think it was Pulisic and Ziyech either side yeah, I personally would, would persist with Werner. I think he gives you a lot um, other than just, you know, other than his goals, because let's be face it, his, his goal scoring hasn't been as good as what we expected it to be from his record last season. 
but he does consistently get in uh, in scoring opportunities uh, in, into good areas. He's constant threat over the top, given his pace, uh, and he provides a lot when it comes to assists. You know, he he's, he can be a, a very good creator, and you know, the, especially in a season that's seen so many of them, he's very good at winning penalties because he is so sharp in in around the box um, that people underestimate his speed. So. I think you have to persist with him. You have to play him. Uh, just it's just how how Tuchel utilizes him really, and, and who he plays off in a sense. Whether it is a Giroud, I mean, Tammy Abraham's still there. Um, seems to be forgotten about. He's still Chelsea's top scorer in all competitions, believe it or not. And he's barely kicked a ball for that's incredible, um, isn't it? Yeah, for you know four or five months since Tuchel's been in charge. So yeah, for me, I, I wouldn't change too much. I would literally just bring in probably Havertz from the start and, and play Werner in, off inside left and. Chilwell probably has to start as well for me. I, I thought that was a strange omission um, at the weekend, playing Marcus Alonso instead of Ben Chilwell. Chilwell, he's, he's just a margin. He's a slightly better Marcus Alonso. I mean, they've both got questionable ability when it comes to defending because they're so gung-ho in attack. But um, I think it's just Chilwell offers much more when it comes to that attacking, overlapping runs. And Alonso's got a wonderful left foot, but um, I think Chilwell's a little bit more trustworthy when it comes to consistently doing the same things and doing the right things. So... I, we're talking like minutiae, aren't we, when it comes to these details? But I guess these are the things that's going to be going through Tuchel's brain because he's got such a massive squad and there's, there is really no standout um, 11 when you come into picking it. I think the only, the only player really, or the only two players, three players maybe that, that start are Mendy, Thiago Silva and Cantor. And then everyone else can sort of just switch in and out really from the, the starting 11. Um, yeah, it's a nice it's a nice problem to have. Uh, I'm sure Leicester would appreciate something similar. They're bare bones at the moment. Johnny Evans picked up his injury again at the weekend, mm-hmm. so he'll be out for this. Um, and you know, Leicester will set up in the same manner as they did in the FA Cup final. That'll be defence first. Try and frustrate Chelsea because they'll understand that if they press on to Chelsea, Chelsea will expose them and pick them off. And um, first goal is going to be key in this match, absolutely. Chelsea get it, then they'll probably win one nil. If Leicester get it, then they'll probably win one nil. Um, I, I think that that little between it when these two teams set up in such a defensive manner. So it's going to be a fascinating watch. I just hope it, it that you know. I mean, I think Mike Dean's in charge. I just hope he gets <laughs> card crazy and makes it a real <laughs> spectacle. Um, it's always yeah, a spectacle when Mike Dean's on the field, yeah. Okay? <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I think it's a difficult one to call. But I think I think the market's got it just about right when it comes to the prices. Um, especially in the in the one x two market, but I, I think that there is a bit of value to be had. Certainly under two and a half goals, I can't see it being um, a goal laden football match whatsoever, really. And um, yeah, I think both teams will set up to frustrate the other. Chelsea are very very good when it comes to the transition, which is what Leicester obviously want to do. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's going to be a fascinating watch from a tactical standpoint. Anyway, not, maybe not from an entertainment standpoint. 1.751 on Pinnacle as we record this for the under 2.5 goals. So get on it, punters. Just found the edge with Jake Oscar Thorpe from Info Goal. Now we're going to move on to Wednesday. Just a reminder as well, we're going to have fans in this week. Admittedly not loads, but there'll be some and we saw it make a bit of a difference in the FA Cup final as well. So we just talk about Mike Dean there. It'll be nice for him to be back in front of his adoring fans. Um, <laughs> when he's in charge in the middle this mid- he loves week. it doesn't he, he absolutely loves it. loves it he's just um, I actually think he's a pretty good referee as well yeah. in fairness <laughs> you know he's actually one of the best refs and I enjoy like, his brashness yeah he's, a, he's just you know he's, he doesn't care if he's speaking to a player that's on 500 grand a week you know he just talks to him like he would on a Sunday <laughs> league football pitch which you know probably winds them up greatly but um, 
<laughs> it does provide plenty of entertainment. It's good to watch, isn't it? It's very good to watch. On Wednesday, Everton, who had a dismal showing against Sheffield United on Sunday evening. Um, wow. I mean, we've talked actually in the last few weeks about how the info goal model, Jake, suggests that they're massively overachieving Everton. They've got Wolves at Goodison, six o'clock on Wednesday. The Wolves again, though, being poor. It'll be interesting to get your take on this because it's a bit of a, mm, not really sure where to go. Um, you can't really back anything with loads of confidence, can we? The reverse fixture ended 2-1 to Everton at Molyneux. Remember that game. Uh, Wolves 4.310. Everton at 1.9. A draw is at 3.7. The info goal analyst's verdict, Jake, is Wolves or draw? Is that something that you would be tempted to get on board with? I mean, it's fine if you want to say to our listeners, steer clear of this game because there is some reason in steering clear, isn't there? Because they've both been so shocking. But um, <laughs> if you do try and find some value, it'd be, it'd be nice to um, obviously share it out there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty much in line with what the, the models thrown up really the, the verdicts. I think it's um, yeah. You're looking at that price again about Everton. I mean, they just handing out, Three points at Goodison Park left and right, aren't they? I mean, one win in 11 home games, losing to the likes of Sheffield United. Fulham have been there and beaten them as well. Newcastle went there and beat them. So they're not even good teams that are going there and beating them. Um, yeah. And then you've got Wolves on the flip side who we were, you know, we were on side with at the weekend and they were extremely disappointing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's another game that's, that's quite tough to call, but just from a pure value perspective, um, you have to take Wolves again because they're being underestimated or Everton have been overestimated in this market and we are getting uh, Wolves plus 0.5 on the Asian handicap at, at 2.02 so you're getting a, a slight odds against price which I think is, is very enticing um, yeah and Everton as we you know their, their home it's basically just a miserable place for them to play football isn't it um, it it's becoming a little bit tragic <coughs> the way that they can't sort of buy a home win at the minute. Um, hopefully for them that the fans can help them get over the line and, and do and achieve that. But I think it's 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 not it's not just the fans that's having an impact on it. It's the way in which they're playing. Um, I, I, when I watch them, I just feel they're so negative. They, they started the season completely the opposite. The first four or five matches, they were just so open and gung ho and throwing bodies forward and scoring a load of goals. And Ever since the um, the Liverpool match, actually no, it was the I think it was Burnley when they drew one one up to more. Ever since then, they've been so defensive minded when it's come to um, playing football matches, and that's meant that their underlying process has been crap because they're ultimately surrendering fo- surrendering surrendering the football and letting their opponents attack them and create loads of chances, and just relying on their opponents not taking the chances, um, and then relying on Calvert Lewin and Richardson to be clinical when they get one or two chances in the game. So. It's not, it's not a sustainable way of playing football if you want to make the top four, top six. Um, and, and ultimately they've been found out, which I'm slightly happy about. Not, not because I don't like Everton, but it's just sort of proof of the pudding, really, that, that these sort of underlying metrics, while they can be laughed at in certain quarters of, uh, of the game, they, you know, there's no running from them effectively. Um, yeah. it is all about, um, yeah, regression to the mean in Everton's case. They are now, playing um, or getting the results at a level we would expect them to based on the performances. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and the they, thing is that they, they don't appear to have done anything about it, Jake. You know, it's not been like that's something that's popped up in the last few weeks, is it? It's, it's been all season from what you've yeah. said. 
and looking at that that model, they're, they're, they've just been, you know, even at the start of the season when it was them and Southampton flying high at the top of the Premier League. All oh, the glory days. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> and everyone was sort of talking, oh, Everton, it could be their year. Everyone else looks rubbish and all this. And it, and actually, it was nonsense. And you kind of got a feeling from that, from just watching it because they were clinical. But then obviously, you're then not watching every game and you kind of seeing the results pop up and that kind of thing. It's interesting to see the stats on that and the fact that now they've experienced that slide. I mean, there was, it doesn't seem that long ago, probably five or six podcasts ago that we were still talking <laughs> about them getting into top four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Ancelotti had been saying, Oh yeah, well, I think, you know, if we can just hang on, you know, we've got a good chance. Well, the, the miles off it now, absolutely yeah. miles off it. I mean, that win yesterday for Liverpool pretty much ended any chance what Slim was left of it. But it's incredible, isn't it, that they've just not done anything about it. Yeah, th- this is going to sound like very over the top and strange, but the worst thing that happened to Everton this season was beating Chelsea, Leicester and Arsenal back to back to back. That's the worst thing that happened to them because they played in a defensive defence-first manner, played on the counter-attack and they got lucky in all three in terms of winning the games. Um, and then it was basically results bias. They they were like, oh, this is working. We're going to stick with this. Um, and unfortunately, you can't really play on the counter-attack against teams like Sheffield United um, or, you know, the West Ham and Wolves of the world. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a bizarre one. Like, I think that their, their season could have been so different had they lost those three matches and it would have been, right, well, that didn't work. <laughs> Let's get yeah, back to correct. trying to outscore the opponents, you know, and, um, and, and out-create the opponents because, yeah, ultimately that that's what they've not been doing and... Um, when you're conceding as many chances as they are on a regular basis, ultimately you're going to get bit at some point and, and that's happened or starts to happen much more regularly for, for Everton. They've put in some really, really bad performances, especially um, especially at home, but even on the road where the results have actually papered over even more of the cracks because had they um, had they got the results they deserved away from home, then they'd be in the bottom half of the table and, uh, and not even looking like anywhere near European football, not even the Europa Conference League. So, um, and who wants that? <laughs> who wants well? West Ham would probably take it at this yeah, point in time. Um, but yeah, so there's, you know, there's a not there's a lot to uh, not to like about Everton. Obviously, we have to caveat that with the fact that they do have some really talented players, and if they did want to play on the on the front foot and get back to that, then absolutely they could really do some damage at any point. But in what is a must win game for Everton, um, if they have to have any chance of finishing in the top six or even finish seventh from qualify for this laughable Europa uh, Conference League um, they're going to have to open up and, and try and beat Wolves and that plays into Wolves' hands at the end of the day they're going to have Pedro Neto Adama Traore being able to to play on the counter-attack they're going to play with those swift transitions and, and, and I think that will play into Wolves getting a draw at, at the very least I mean the, the defeats that Wolves have suffered in the last uh, six matches have come at Tottenham who are you know they're, they're a top seven team when they're clicking uh, and at Burnley, who, you know, that was a freak result. But either side of that, you know, they've beaten Brighton, they've drawn with West Brom, beaten Sheffield United, they've beaten Fulham, and I think they beat West Brom as well. So teams that are sort of below average and, and average, they've, they've dealt pretty well with. Um, and Everton definitely fall into that category, I'd say. Well, it's a game that I probably won't be watching. I'll be honest, that one. Um, <laughs> six o'clock on Wednesday. <laughs> You've got three to choose from at six. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. And the one, to be fair, I think if, at six o'clock, the game that I'll probably be watching on Wednesday is Tottenham Villa. That's the one that we'll be going through now. Um, 
Tottenham 1.549, draw is 4.60760, I beg your pardon, and Villa are 5.910. The info goal model reckons that Villa or draw is probably the way to go, although Spurs won 2-0 in the reverse fixture. 2-0 again is at nine and a half. Jack Grealish back on the pitch, even though you reckon we're slightly disappointed to only see him for 25 minutes or so at the weekend, Jake, weren't you? Kane scoring again. He seems to have just started hitting those straps, hasn't he? I mean, he never really stops, but when he does go to like two or three games or he's out injured or whatever, Spurs do look a little bit bereft of ideas. But now he's sort of found in the back of the net again. Um, 22 goals for Kane, by the way, this Premier League season. Um, even though you could argue a goal against a tepid Wolves side probably only counts as half. Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. Come on, let's talk odds then. So where, where do you think the value is on this, Jake? The analyst verdict is Villa or draw. Is that the way that you'd be going looking at the numbers in front of you? Um, I, I don't know if I'd be going Villa or the draw. I, I think that I agree with what the model's saying in that Spurs are too short for this. Um, they're priced around the one to two mark. Um, you're looking at around one, yeah, 1.52 on Pinnacle. That to me is just, it's just too short and too reactionary to, um, Tottenham's three home wins under, under Ryan Mason. I mean, they, they played average teams. They played bottom half teams. I know Villa fit that category as well, but when they are, uh, at full tilt, they are very much a top half team and, and they have been for most of the season, in fact. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the Villa aren't getting the respect they deserve in this, in this market. I think that there's, yeah, they, they've not been as good away from home as the results would suggest have Aston Villa, which is a bit of an issue. But um, when it comes to chances and, uh, and creating chances, they've not had a problem. They've averaged 1.5 expected goals for per game away from home of Aston Villa, which is a really strong process on the road. And um, ultimately, it should lead them to uh, to be able to score against this Tottenham team, maybe even a couple. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wolves did very little to to mark Spurs at the weekend, but we have seen them look extremely vulnerable against teams that are willing to open up and, and have a go, like Leeds did. I mean, Leeds just shredded them when they played them. Um, basically, went toe to toe with Spurs and, and and beat them quite comfortably. And if Villa have got the players to do that, really, um, you know, if Grealish is in the team, then I'd, I'd expect this Tottenham price to drift, maybe to something around the, the seven to ten mark. I think he is that that important to Villa. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm wanting to get them on side in some way. Uh, I do quite like the the look of the plus one on the Asian handicap, which basically gives them a, a goal head start Aston Villa, and, and that means if they lose by one goal, you get state back. If they draw or win the game, you get a, a winner. So you've got a little bit of extra security than just a plus 0.5. And yeah, I, I don't think that Villa will, will lose by uh, a couple against this Tottenham team. I think that they've got enough about them to. Uh, at least, at least, hang in there um, and make it really difficult for Spurs. So, yeah, plus one is where I'd be going. The goal line I'd looked at because I do think there are going to be quite a few goals in this, mm. um, but it's a little bit short for my liking. For over over two and a half, around one point six five, um, I probably would want that maybe closer to one point seven two if I was going to have a bet on that. Um, yeah, over three goals is, is is the next one up, and that's around even money. That that did interest me a little bit given what we've seen from both teams recently. I mean, Villa. Um, in the last five matches have been involved in a 2-2, a 3-1, a 3-2 and, and a couple of 2-1s. So goals have been flowing for Villa. I won't put anyone off back in. Maybe both teams to score and over two and a half as a, as a double. Sounds good. Jake, Oscar thought? 
Nice work. Now, after you've watched Tottenham against Villa, uh, we're going to move on to Burnley against Liverpool. Now, actually, Turf Moor's a place where having supporters in. It's an immeasurable, it's an intangible, in the same way that Alisson scoring that header at the weekend for Liverpool in the last minute against West Brom. That right, it could you? No, I mean that's an immeasurable and intangible, as well as by the way, if we just step away from kind of betting mode for a moment, absolutely unreal. Like what a header that was! <laughs> Let like a gazelle and just flicked it into the bottom bag, and that was like you, you were saying just before we started recording. Actually, we were talking about it, Jake. What? I mean, that was the only way he could have scored that goal, wasn't it? Attacking it and flicking it into the bottom corner. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was prime Peter Crouch, wasn't it? Effectively. <laughs> <laughs> the player who's scored the most headed goals in history of the Premier League. Um, yeah, it's, it was just one of those moments where, it, like we were saying beforehand, I mean, this, these, these are the sort of things that you'd lose if you had a European Super League. I mean, Liverpool drawing 1-1 at West Brom, but if they're already guaranteed to be playing in that Super League, then they're not throwing the goalkeeper up to score a last-minute winner, <laughs> are they? Uh, and you don't get all the, you know, the drama, etc. But interestingly, he's now got a better goals-per-minute ratio than Jamie Carragher at Liverpool, which I thought was a really interesting stat. That's a great um, <laughs> I think that tells you more about Carragher's um, scoring prowess than it does Alisson. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he does everything, doesn't he? I mean, it wasn't so long ago. He got an assist as well. Uh, was it... Mo Salah against Manchester United last season, he got he got a last minute assist. So, yeah, he's just um, just a top quality goalkeeper. He also made a couple of decent saves in the game as well. Let's not yeah, forget about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the headlines are for the goals, but he did keep his side in it. He did. Yeah. Well, look, we can't see him. So, would you back him again this week? Uh, <laughs> if it's one-one and he has to go up again, maybe you, you never know. Maybe. Mind you, I suspect that the Burnley defenders might be a little bit more alert to his threat that he poses. Than the yeah, West Brom ones yeah. were actually this time he did, around. He, he did just waltz in on uh, unmarked, didn't he? Like he got some invisible cloak on. Oh my word! I mean, you, it, it was, it's not like he's six foot five and you know well built or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck in under the radar. The info goal analyst this week says both teams to score, which is interesting because it was also kind of heading that way in the West Brom game at the weekend, wasn't it? That's what you actually suggested to the punters here, Jake, to try and give them the bit of the edge here on the Premier League Insights podcast. You did say both teams to score against West Brom. It, again, it's the same thing. We sound like a, a broken record, don't we? But still leaky at the back Liverpool, still conceding goals against far lesser teams. Um, you could argue that Burnley, even they, they've got, well, they do. It's not an argument. They've got way more quality than West Brom do. Um, and they're at home. There's supporters in. Liverpool, un- understandably are going to be absolutely knackered. Um, Having played, you know, a lot of games actually and all kind of high pressure games because every game is like a cup final for them at the moment. I hate that phrase, but it's true. The really important games. So, could you, is there anything that points you towards getting Burnley on side? I don't know, maybe a handicap or something like that? Or is that not where the value lies? You tell me. Uh, potentially, um, I mean, the Infocom model thinks that Liverpool are extremely short for this. It's that it's that need again that we were talking about last week. The Liverpool need to win. Burnley have got nothing to play for, so let's make Liverpool really, really short. Um, yeah, you're looking at around one point two two again to win away at Burnley, which is um, staggeringly short, really. Um, you've got to remember that Burnley won one nil in the reverse fixture at Anfield as well. So, yeah, exactly. And this is the same price as, as what Liverpool went off at West Brom last week. 
um, which they needed a last-minute goal from the goalkeeper. It's the same <laughs> price that they went off at home to Newcastle, which they drew 1-1. So um, the, the, that price is definitely needs to be attacked. I don't think that the, the I don't think Liverpool should be this short at Burnley. I know Burnley aren't playing for anything, but you know when when have you ever seen Sean Dyche's team just sort of give up towards the end of the season? Even against Leeds, I mean they the, the scoreline was. 4-0 but the XG total was 1.47 to, to Leeds 2 so it was a lot closer in terms of the quality of the chances that were created than the actual scoreline would suggest um, and yeah they come into this winless in nine home matches in, in the Premier League but their their XG process over that nine home game spell has actually been very even they've actually created a similar amount of chances as to what they've conceded they've just been very unfortunate so is this the game where regression to the mean hits for Burnley and they get a little bit of fortune when it comes to these kind of things, potentially? Um, I doubt it. I think that Liverpool will win the game, but I don't think it'll be as one-sided as, as what the odds are suggesting. Um, I mean, that Liverpool, the home form has been well talked about, well documented, the issues that they had mid-season. Away from home, they've been really consistent. Uh, that, that's the sort of one, the one thing that's really kept them in the hunt for the top four has been their away form. They've been able to go places and get victories and uh, and the process is is the backbone of that, really. Averaging over two expected goals per game, um, conceded one point three five expected goals against per game. Now that is quite high for for Liverpool, one point three five, and that is again why the both teams to score angle comes into play. Um, you know, apparently it, it may shock you, but they've actually created a lot of good chances in recent weeks um, over quite a long period of time. Actually, at Burnley, um, obviously Chris Wood was on that remarkable scoring run before um, drawing a blank at the weekend, but they, they are creating quite a lot of good chances against um, decent teams. I mean, they, they pushed Manchester United fairly close not so long ago. Um, I think United scored three very late goals in that one. But yeah, they, they racked up you know 1.6 XG against Southampton, 2.3 against Newcastle, uh, 2.1 against Wolves, 2.2 against West Ham, 1.9 against Fulham. Um, so, that, you know, they, they are creating the chances. and It's a makeshift back two still. And Chris Wood and Mate Vidra or whoever plays up front with Chris Wood will be licking the lips at, at potentially adding to their goal tallies. So both teams to score, you're looking at around 1.75. Um, I think that's still a, a decent value play. And if you can get Burnley, I mean, I might be getting greedy here. I'm not got oh, the odds are just reloading. Oh, well, get one. greedy. Get greedy, Jake. Yeah. Uh, Burnley plus two on the Asian handicap is at 1.8. So Wow. That I mean, yeah, Burnley have been... Um, Coming off, the, or, or coming off the back of a comfortable defeat to Leeds in terms of the scoreline, but the game was much more competitive. And, and I, I don't think that Burnley have lost by more than two goals many times this season. Um, obviously, Manchester United was, was the one most recent that springs to mind, where they lost three-one. But even so, you'd get your state back if uh, you know if they lost by exactly two goals as they did on that occasion. Other than that, Tottenham away uh, was a four-nil defeat. Even Man City at home plus two. Plus two on the Asian handicap, you would have seen your money back. At Chelsea, you'd have seen your money back as well. Um, yeah, it literally is. At Man City was probably, uh, and, and against Chelsea early on, they're the only teams that have actually beaten Burnley by more than two goals. So it's very, very rare that that happens. So taking Burnley plus two on the Asian handicap, I think is a really, really solid bet. Um, and it gives you quite a lot of security that, you know, I mean, what we're 36 games in and Burnley have only been beaten by three goals or more in three of them, which tells you all you need to know really about how, how stubborn they are. Um, and, you know, they're, they're Burnley and Liverpool, it's not a rivalry, is it? They're in a similar sort of area and, and I'm sure that, um, you know, that there might be one 
Sean Dyche will want to ruffle some feathers somewhere. Of course he will. Course. You know what he's like. Yeah. Um, and, and his team, they're very workmanlike. They will, they will not just roll over and stop playing at the end of the season and they're safe. So. And they've got, yeah. you know, and like we said, they've got supporters in and you can't underestimate that. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they'll want to put on a show. They'll, you know, I'm sure there'll be some supporters that don't like Liverpool for whatever reason and will want to see <laughs> yeah. them suffer. So, yeah, plus, plus two, I think, is a, is a really, really good... But I'm surprised that the price is, is, is around 1.8. I'd expect that to be at least 1.65. Um, but then again, that's that need need to win that's being factored in and just making an artificial, artificially short price for um, for Liverpool, which, you know... Whenever the whatever they're conceding goals, whatever they're looking vulnerable at the back, they've got to be attacked and they've got to be taken on. Love to hear that. That's uh, well, that's all the main games, our sort of main picks, so five main games that we've been through here on the Premier League Insights podcast. Now, I'm just going to give Jake a moment just to have a little scour of the market through some more sort of little standout picks from the other games that are taking place. Tuesday, of course, see Southampton host Leeds Brighton against Manchester City. Wednesday is Blades travelling to Newcastle. Palace have got the Gunners at home and West Brom against the Hammers. So that's quite a decent set of fixtures, actually. There's some decent games there. But even even Newcastle, Sheffield United, with the Blades coming off a win, Newcastle putting three past City on Friday night. There's a few different things that, I mean, I'm not particularly sure that there's going to be much value in any of them or anything that stands out. You'll tell me in just a moment, Jake. Um, but there's some excitement. So that's quite good, if nothing else. If there's no money to be won, at least it's exciting. So, uh, so Jake, go on. What's, uh, what's, what sort of sparked your interest? Yeah, the, like you said, I think there's some, there's some decent games, but not too many betting opportunities I'm seeing. Um, I think Arsenal are a little bit too short against Crystal Palace away from home. I'd be very surprised if they won that comfortably. Um, mm. So maybe I'm tempted by the Palace plus one. Yeah. Um, around just over even money. Um, Newcastle, I don't mind Newcastle's price just to beat Sheffield United around 1.8. It might, it may look short, but recent matches, recent home matches in particular. Newcastle have looked really, really good from an attacking standpoint, and I think that they should have enough to um, to beat Sheffield United. I think the there's only only Liverpool have created more expected goals per game, uh, or average more expected goals per game than Newcastle across the last seven matches. So, sort of puts into perspective the sort of upturn that they've seen in attack. And Sheffield United away from home have been simply woeful all season long. I know they got the beat they beat Everton, but yeah. Um, 1.9 expected goals against per game on average is what they're conceding. So if they continue like that, Newcastle have got more than enough to cause them some serious issues. So I've been tempted. I've been probably having a little bit of a, of a wager on Newcastle to win that game. Um, the Brighton City game, I was looking at under two and a half, but given what, what City did last week at Newcastle in a game that I thought would be quite low scoring, um, that's kind of put me off a little bit. I know Brighton have obviously got a really strong defensive process themselves, but um, they, they ran the changes last week against uh, against West Ham, so I'll, I'll probably leave that alone. Um, yeah, and then Southampton leads probably the opposite. I'll be looking at a lot of goals in that one. I think that could be a really entertaining game. I think that's probably, it might even be worth watching Saints leads over Man United Fulham, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think that could be a cracker. Both teams, obviously Southampton coming off the back of successive 3-1 wins. Leeds have lost one of the last eight or nine, scored a hat full of goals at the minute as well. They've found their attacking touch once again. Rodrigo, wow, what a goal that was that he scored at the weekend. That's yeah. fantastic. 
And Jack uh, Harrison um, looks so good as well, didn't he as well? Just just brilliant. Scored a couple of assists, just ran the show from sort of start to finish, to be fair. Yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at goals. I think the line's set at over three and a quarter, which um, I wouldn't put anyone off. I, I, could, I, think I, I did a correct score predictor on Sporting Life today, and I went 2-2 two, two for that one. So, yeah, it should be a cracking game to watch, but I probably will just be watching brief for me, and I won't be getting... Um, yeah, keeping my powder dry for that one. So, yeah, the only other ones, I'd be tempted with Crystal Palace plus one, and, and then I would be taking Newcastle to beat Blades. Love to see it. That rounds off a busy midweek this week, game week 37, the penultimate game week of the Premier League season. Uh, thanks so much, Jake. We appreciate that. We'll review some of these picks on next episode. Remember to subscribe, comment and share. You can find out more about the InfoGoal model as well that we refer to pretty much every two minutes throughout this podcast at infogoal.net, uh, pinnacle.com and at Pinnacle on Twitter and Pinnacle.betting on Instagram are your places for more from us. Remember, it is time for the USPGA actually this week. So if you're a golf fan, there's a big golf podcast, major talk on this podcast feed where you can get your tips from this week ahead of uh, well, the second major of the year now. It used to be the last one. Uh, Any fancies? Oh, I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, I think Jordan Spieth's probably playing pretty well, yeah, Jake. he's playing well. He's playing well. Yeah, he's playing nice. Um, I and think he's, uh, any, uh, an outsider, Sung Jaim, I think he's been, he, he's just so consistent. My only problem is he plays every week, doesn't he? He never has a week off. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> he I might know, burn yeah. himself out. Absolutely. And it's difficult to look past McElroy. Of course, one in his last yeah, event yeah. out as well. So Very true. And DJ the- might, well... I think he, he might be getting a decent prize for him given that he's not played for uh, or played well for a while. He might spring into life. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, what what do we know? I mean, why don't you listen to David <laughs> David Lynn, Sophie We just Walker. volunteered ourselves for the golf podcast there, I reckon. <laughs> I think we have. I'd love to see it. Uh, no info goal model for that, though. We could do info no, golf. Not yet. Infogolf.net. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, listen to the experts, definitely. Yeah, definitely listen to the experts. Head to their uh, their podcast feed. It's um, it's it's all it's all on this. It's all on the Pinnacle Betting feed. It's um, very useful. Help me out. No end ahead of the Masters as well. Uh, Pinnacle.betting on Instagram. Uh, Pinnacle.com. Like I say, and remember to gamble responsibly. And just remember that odds are subject to change from the time of recording. Thanks for listening. <laughs>